Amen. Well, thank you so much for that amazing worship. And I have to say, I meant to say it before, it's so good to be uh, back with you guys. I was out of town last Sunday, and so, so thankful for Pastor Greg uh, filling the pulpit for me and Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, and I know it was a blessing to you, I'm sure, uh, what he brought, and I was able to listen to the message this week, and uh, what a great word that he brought to you guys last week, and so um, it was just exciting to be uh, out of town. I had the chance, the uh, privilege to preach last week uh, at a friend of mine's church down in Wayne, and so we were able to be down there with them, and so um, I got to tell you, though, um, I think I take you guys for, for granted, if we're being honest, and you might say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, well, Vic knows what I'm talking about. So some of you guys may know that I tend to preach a little long. Amen? Yes. So believe it or not, that's not everywhere, you know? And I, had, I got there, and uh, I was telling Sandra, I was looking at my notes and everything, and, and I talked to the sound guy, and I said, hey, I, I don't really know how long you guys go on Sunday morning. We've only really been here. I speak down there sometimes on Wednesday nights in the summer. And, and they said, well, you'll get up there. Well, we started at 11, and uh, about 30 minutes of worship and different things. You'll get up at 1130. Okay, when do you guys end? Uh, noon. <laughs> do you guys do an invitation? Oh, yeah, we do an invitation. Uh, is that included? Yeah, that's included in that. I was like, oh, okay. I ended at 12.05. So you guys know for me, that's really, really good. But as soon as I said that, I was kind of joking with the sound guy, and he said, don't worry about it. Seth goes over all the time. So I was, yes, I'm in good company. So we're good. <laughs> No, this morning I am so excited to get in God's Word with you, and so thank you for being here today. If you have a Bible, and you're going to turn there, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and if you're using a device that might be a little easier this morning, I, I probably will spend a lot of time turning through my Bible this morning, and so if the notes blow away or just disappear, we'll just end in prayer, amen? So James chapter 1, and before we get into the text this morning, I have a question to kind of get us started, and I want to give a little couple uh, kind of precursors to this question. The first one is, you can't raise someone else's hand, okay? So we're all on the same page. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a minute. You can't raise someone else's hand, and if you are married to someone, you cannot raise your spouse's hand. So we're all on the same page, right? Okay, so you can't raise someone else's hand, and you can't raise your spouse's hand. The question is this, by raised hand, how many of you have had a hard time, have a hard time thinking before you speak. Okay, look around just for a moment. Now, also look around. If there's anyone sitting next to somebody that could be their wife or husband, and they're going like this, that's just as bad as raising their hand, okay? You might have just physically have grabbed their hand, okay? How many of you struggle with saying something, and then as soon as you say it, you instantly regret what you said? Okay. I think we've all been there at some point. Now, prayerfully, as we've gotten older, what should be happening? That should be happening less and less. But we know we're all human under the tent this morning. And even those outside the tent, you're all human as well. Okay? We've all had this issue. And I want to look at a verse this morning that I honestly believe it's one of the most encouraging verses to me and James. But it's also one of the most challenging verses to me. And, and the book of James is an amazing book as a whole. But I want to look at James chapter 1 and verse 26. James chapter 1 and verse 26. Now, just like you couldn't raise someone else's hand or anything like that, I don't want you to think of anyone else. So often we get to church and we hear something. And we're like, oh, I really hope brother so-and-so heard that. I hope sister so-and-so heard that. Let's not do that this morning. Let's think of ourselves this morning and how God might be speaking to us. 
So James 1 in verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. This man's religion is vain. There is a lot in that simple little verse this morning. And I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Before we get into that, a little background of the book of James. Uh, James is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. He is believed to be the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. So if you're taking notes or jotting down notes, Acts chapter 15, you're going to read about this first church council that happened in Jerusalem. James is there, and he's in leadership. And he's going to speak in Acts 15, believing to be a pastor or at least some form of pastoral leadership. But when you read the book of James, the letter of James, which is written to the early church, You can hear the heart of a pastor. You can hear the heart of a man who loves the church and wants God's best for the church. And so you hear that as it's written. Primarily, the majority of those reading this letter for the first time would have been Jewish believers, those that were Jewish that have converted to Christianity in the early church. Remember, the early church really was a lot of Jewish believers. The gospel hadn't started spreading until we get a little bit into the book of Acts. And so James is writing to them. This is why you're going to see a lot of references to things like Abraham and the Old Testament and things like that. It's also believed that this letter is addressed to the Jewish believers specifically who were scattered from Jerusalem. If you're going to take a note, Acts chapter 7, we read of the stoning of Stephen when Stephen was martyred for his faith. Acts chapter 8 starts off with this, this wording that they were driven out. They were scattered out from Jerusalem. And this is a letter written in James chapter 1, verse 1. He says to those that have been scattered. That's referring to those in Acts 8. And so again, he's writing a very practical, direct letter to the church. He's trying to encourage them with what we like to call real-life Christianity, as though there's any other kind. Amen? Uh, Christianity is not a Sunday-only thing. Christianity is not a I-do-it-when-I-have-time thing. Uh, Christianity is not a I-do-it-when-everyone's-looking thing. Christianity is, by definition, being a follower of Christ. That happens, believe it or not, 24-7. So James is writing to call us to that type of Christianity, which is, in fact, by definition, Christianity. A possible summary verse for the entire book is found in chapter 1, I believe, in verse 22. So James 1 and verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's a really good summary verse for the whole letter. If you're like, what's James about? The book of James. It's about being a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So what does it mean to be a doer of the word and one who applies the word of God? Well, he unpacks that throughout the letter. All the chapters of James talk about that idea. But I believe we see in chapter one, kind of again, a little summary set up and then unpacking it through the rest of the letter. So he gives us four things in chapter one. Look at verse 26 again. Now, these are not exhaustive things, but they're good summary things. These are things that kind of show our faith or show that we really believe as followers of Christ. Verse 26, again, if any man among you seem to be religious, and then we'll talk about that word in just a little bit. It's not a bad word here in this context. In our understanding, religion sometimes has a bad connotation. That's not what James is saying here. But he says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted 
for the, from the world. So what are those four things? To visit, we say visit, it's really serve. To minister, maybe minister is a better word. To minister to the fatherless, to minister to the widows, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. This is similar to Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is the idea of not coming under the same mindset of the world. We don't think like the world system. We think like followers of Christ, governed by the word of God. And then also bridling your tongue. Now notice, serving widows and ministering to widows, the fatherless, being abstaining from the things of the world that would lead us astray from the things of Christ, and watching how you speak, all lumped in in the same category. We tend to put very big like distances there. Well, watching what I say is important, but not nearly as important as serving those in need. But really, if we're honest, the way we speak is one of the greatest ways we can serve one another. The greatest way you can minister to somebody is to minister to them grace in your words. We said it a couple weeks ago. We all want grace when we blow it, but grace is the number one thing we refuse to give when someone blows it in our lives. But man, we're quick to talk, aren't we? Uh, we're just going to be real this morning, okay? We're going to be real genuine because I've been in ministry a long time. I've been around the church since 1998. That's when I was saved when I was 16. And I've been in some conversations. I've been in some meetings. I've been around believers when they weren't in the most Christ-like attitude. And we can talk. We can say some stuff. We can use our words to speak death. Not literal death, but we kill people every single day with our words. We tear them down. We destroy them. We want to show ourselves better than them. Sometimes we'll do it with a smile and a laugh, though, right? We'll, take, we'll make a very harsh comment against somebody, but we'll smile and giggle. So that's, it's, it's okay, because obviously I'm implying I'm joking, but I'm really not. If I said it without that, though, you would judge me as being rude and speaking against them. And I can say all of this because I have and struggle with this at times. I struggle with my speech every single day. I have to constantly pray, God, give me wisdom in what I say. And when I blow it, God, forgive me for that. Going to those that I live with and having to say, I'm really sorry for how I said that. I'm not sorry for what I said, but I shouldn't have said it that way. Or I'm sorry for what I said because we said it in anger or in the flesh. It is this last idea of bridling our tongue that we're going to unpack this morning. And I tease about going long. I will try to be quick. Praise the Lord for the breeze, though. Amen. I know it gets hot sometimes under the tent, but that wind is really, really helping this morning. So I want to look at this. What does it mean to bridle your tongue? Some other translations use different wording there. But in general, I want to look at the general sense and then the specific sense. Because James kind of does that. He speaks in a general sense and then a specific sense. So what's the general sense? Well, the word for religion here in verse 26, he says, if any man among you seem to be religious, this is not just referring to Christians. This is not just a Christian judging a Christian thing. He's saying, if anyone in the culture, if anyone of your area of influence at work, in your home, whatever, if they seem to be religious, that's the group he's addressing first. The word itself comes from a Latin word that means to bind back, to bind back. It wasn't a common word used in the Greek language, but deals with the outward practice or the service to a God. The outward practice of service to a God. So when we just worshiped, we just sang praises to our God, we were practicing religion. Now, I know in our culture today, in our church culture, we say it's not religion, it's relationship. We love that phrase. And I get what we mean. It's not works that get us to heaven. It's Jesus that gets us to heaven. Amen. But by the way, what we're doing is a religious practice. By definition, you're gathering and we're practicing something in service to our God. I love the definition of binding back because to me, that's a great way to show our faith in Christ is to restrain ourselves in honor of him. 
So James is saying, how do we know if someone's religion is real? If it's genuine and not vain? Well, he says, if they don't bridle their tongue, their religion is vain. Religious and religion, these words are only used approximately five times in the New Testament. And James uses them, James uses them more than any other New Testament writer. Here, we could suggest that James is speaking of any belief or religion that someone may hold to. However, if that religion does not curb the person's speech, it is a deception to them. It is worthless or empty. That's what the word vain means. The reality is there should be fruit to our belief. However, I want to be careful in our understanding of this because many will claim the goodness of a religion because of the good things the followers do. There are many religions where people do very good things in response to their religious beliefs. That doesn't mean that religion religion is true to God's word. But what James is saying here, if you believe and you have this faith in a God, the least it should do is cause you to watch what you say. So in a general sense, James is saying, we kind of understand this in a general religious sense. But what about specifically to believers? Again, remember, it's not just because we do good things that shows our religion is true. We do not follow Christ because in doing so, we do good for others. We follow Christ because he died for us as a payment for our sin. We receive that gift of grace and eternal life. And in response, we desire to please and glorify him. And what happens when I, as a follower of Christ, decide I'm going to please and glorify God in everything I do, how I parent, how I work, how I pastor, everything. What's a natural overflow of that you think in the other people's lives? They're going to be blessed or they're going to be cursed by me? Blessed. So how do I provide the best good by our understanding, serving and being a blessing to someone? Man, put God first. Desire to glorify God in all things, you're never going to do it perfect. That's why there's grace. But when we say, I'm going to glorify God in this, I will in turn be a blessing to others. I don't start trying to bless you and hope it pleases God because that doesn't work. That makes me a man pleaser, not a God pleaser. But if I'm a God pleaser, I will please man as far as serving them. Doesn't mean they're always going to agree with us, but it does mean that they'll know that we love them, care for them, and will serve them. So in a general sense, in any religious sense, there should be an understanding of our speech being dictated to by our religion. But however, in a specific sense, what about the believer? What about the believer, the one that knows Christ? How should our religion, our view of God, our understanding of theology from God's word, how should that help us to understand what we say? Because here's the truth. So many people listen to what you say and you don't even realize it. What you say to other people, how you speak to them at work, how you speak to your spouse, how you speak to your children, they're hearing you. And I will stand right here and raise my hand with my boys in the audience. They know this is true. I've blown it. They know I'm not perfect, right? They know that. So what happens? I have to go to them and say, I'm really sorry for saying it that way or saying it this or doing that. But my faith in Christ should be helping me to grow in understanding what I say matters. So what do we need to understand as believers when it comes to bridling our tongue we realize that what we say matters. We must think before we speak. We must think before we speak. The word bridle means to hold in check or to restrain. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about this. Would you describe, don't answer out loud, don't raise your hand. No poking, no elbows, no pointing, no nothing. Remember, we're not thinking about someone else right now. We're thinking about who? How's God speaking to me? Would you describe your speech on an everyday basis, not when you're trying to be good. Y'all know what I mean? You come to church. Oh, I can't say that I'm in church. 
when we were doing youth ministry, we would be driving in the church bus. We used to pick up a lot of kids in the church van. And when you pick up church van kids, as we call them, not coming from Christian homes, a lot of times they came in with not the best speech because they didn't know. And I loved it. I'll be honest with you. I loved the van kids. I loved all the kids, but I loved the van kids because they were real. It's just, it's just how it is. And I remember they would come in the van and they would say something. And one of the other kids that had been there a little bit longer would go, hey, you can't say that. And they're like, why? And they're like, well, we're in the church van. <laughs> and the kid went, well, we're not in church. And they know my standard. The van is the church on wheels. Like we're still technically in church as long as you're in the church van. So I used to tell them, nope, you ain't listening to that. Why? This is church. You ain't saying that. Why? Because this is church. And we say those kind of things. Well, I can't, I, I love this one. I can't lie. I'm in church. But outside of church, it's on. We can lie as much as we want. So we all understand that we can turn it on. We can turn it off, right? Uh, by the way, there's students in here today. If you're in your school and you say one thing around your friends and you say another thing around your parents and another thing at church, that is not okay. You need to say, Lord, give me wisdom in this. That doesn't just go for the kids that go to public school. That's any kids, any students that have friends. You know how it is when you were a teenager. How much stuff did you say behind your parents' back that you were like, if they, if they heard me, I know what my mom would have done. I wouldn't have been, you know, I'd been on the floor. Like, how'd I get down here, right? Like, <laughs> why's my mouth hurt? What's going on? Right? Because if you knew my mom, she didn't play like that. But I want to I understand this. We can all do this. We can all turn it on and turn it off. I'm saying it should be a constant. So in your constant everyday speech, for you and the Lord to think about this, would you say that your speech is held in check and restrained by the Spirit of God? You think about that for a moment. Would you describe your speech that way, that it's restrained? that it's held in check. James talks about the tongue or our speech quite a lot. James chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 3, 1 through 3, chapter 4, 11 and 12. Could it be that if he's going to spend in all the chapters of James, he's going to spend that much time speaking about the tongue? There's only five chapters in James, right? And in four of those, he addresses the tongue and the speech. Do you think it was an issue in the church? Do you think he accidentally spoke about this that much? No. He knew people. He knew what we struggle with. And here's the thing. If we'll surrender our speech to the Spirit of God, our actions will follow. It's the same of our minds. If we surrender our minds to the things of Christ, our words and our actions will follow. So here we understand this is an important thing that James is addressing, how we speak. Go to Ephesians chapter Four. Ephesians chapter 4. The wind's going to help me get there a lot quicker. Oh, too far, wind. Too far. Okay, Ephesians 4. So we need to have our speech bridled, kept in, in check, restrained. And who restrains our speech? We surrender it to the Spirit of God that he would hold us in check. But I love this verse is a good good lens to think about. When we say something, we need to speak through this lens, think through this lens. And this is hard today. By the way, this also could go for what you type, social media. What you type is still your speech. And by the way, instant uh, communication isn't always a good thing because sometimes that's the easiest way to do something or say something and then think about it. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, we speak the truth in love. We realize that what we say matters. 
We need our speech kept in check and restrained by the Spirit, and we speak the truth in love. This is specifically how it applies to believers. Ephesians 4.15, in context, Paul is speaking to the idea of doctrine and what we believe. And he says that in this same passage that we ought to be children tossed to and fro by any wind of doctrine, by just whatever we believe. And in response to that, as a, as a contrast to that, he talks about this idea of speaking the truth in love, growing up into Christ. When we encounter false teaching or those that believe different things about Christ or a different religious view, we need to respond with truth, but truth in love. Because our desire is to grow up, not be children in Christ. Also, I believe when we speak in love, we are encouraging the hearer who most likely needs Christ to hear the truth we are sharing. So why do we speak the truth in love? Especially when someone is asking us questions or mocking Christianity or coming against our faith, even in a different religious system. Because ultimately our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is to lead them to Christ. And so, yes, we can speak truth. I'm all for speaking truth. But let's speak truth in love so that the hearer is not offended by us. If they're offended by the truth, that's not our, our problem. The truth is offensive. Let's just be real. None of us came to Christ because it was a great idea that we thought was a great idea. We came to Christ because we realized we were a sinner in need of a savior. And at its core, that's offensive. Well, you don't know me. How are you going to say I'm a sinner? I've not done anything that bad. It's an offensive truth to our pride and to our arrogance. We have to humble ourselves. So guess what? That offense doesn't need you to be offensive as you deliver that truth. We just deliver it in love. This, this is truth. You can get mad about it. You can get angry about it. But this is what the Bible declares. Speak the truth in love. And that's in comparison to false teaching and false doctrine. John Stott, an author, said it this way when he spoke about speaking the truth in love. It's a long quote, but I came across that, this quote this week in a book that we're reading as a staff. And I wanted to share this with you guys. John Stott said it well. Thank God. There are those in the contemporary church, meaning the church of today, not music, who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. Praise God for people that will say, I'm speaking truth. I'm going to speak the truth no matter what. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of the battle enters their eye. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of the revelation of Christ. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love, and love becomes soft when it is not strengthened by truth. We don't ignore falsehoods. We don't ignore false teaching. We speak truth, but it's softened by love. And truth needs Love, but love needs truth. We can't just speak love and say, nope, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to look at that that way. I'm just going to let it go. No, we can speak truth. We just need to be careful here. The author concludes this way. The apostle calls us to hold the two together, which should not be difficult. Hear me now. Which should not be difficult for spirit-filled believers. Since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth and his first fruit to us in the spirit is love, there is no other route than this to a fully mature Christ unity. How do we have unity in the church, true unity? It's because we've grown up in the Christ to speak truth in love. I don't know how this speaks to you. I don't know how it encourages you to think about what you say, 
But I'm just telling you, if you want a better marriage, start watching what you say to your spouse. You want to see your children grow up and know Christ and enjoy that Christian walk and have a good relationship? Watch what you say. You want to see your coworkers respond differently to the gospel? Watch what you say. You see, I said it before that when we share Christ with someone who doesn't know Christ, they're coming at Christ and they're being aggressive. We speak truth in love so that they might come to know Christ. We're doing that because we're called to evangelize the lost, but we're also called to make disciples. We're called to share Christ with others. They might, in Christ, grow up into knowing Christ more. And one of the ways we do that is by sharing the word of God with them. And we do that through speech, through how we speak about the word of God. And I'm telling you, God has given you, if you are married and have children, God has given you, right in your home, people to disciple. If you have grandchildren, God has given you another generation to disciple. Praise God. And so how are you investing in them? How are you speaking to them? And again, this is about anyone else. This is about you and God. So we're going to, in just a little bit, we're going to have a time of, of prayer, time of invitation. Now, you're not going to have you come forward, but we are going to encourage you to respond right there where you are. And I want you to ask God to speak into your life. One of the clearest proofs of our walk with Christ is revealed in our words. Do we surrender to the Spirit and allow him to not only give us the words to say, which he will, praise God, he will do that, you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to say and you're just, Lord, <laughs> I don't know. I need you. And then all of a sudden, it's not audible. I don't believe he speaks audibly. I believe it's just a stirring in our spirit and, and a wisdom that he gives that he'll bring a scripture to our mind. And praise God, we, we talked about the kids that are memorizing scripture during the school year and Word of Life. That is not just to get a Bible book to buy something. It's so that when they mature in the Lord, the spirit of God will use that verse they memorized when they were six and seven years old. They forgot it. If you ask them, they couldn't quote it to you. But man, in that moment of temptation, the Spirit says, no, 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 you don't need to give in because no temptation has taken you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful and he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure or bear the temptation. That's why we instill the word of God in our hearts and minds so the Spirit can give us those words when we need it. But not only will he give us the words to say, he'll also give us wisdom in when to say what he gives us to say. He will give us the freedom to know what to say, but we will in turn give him the freedom to restrain our words. Are we speaking the truth in love? Are we actually practicing what we say we believe? Are we doers of the word or just hearers only? You know, the sad thing about being a hearer only of the word of God is you'll sit in a service just like this. You'll hear the word of God preached and declared. Maybe not as well as it could be by someone else, and that's fine but you've heard the word. Now you've got a choice. I heard it. And we could go, amen. Praise God. That's good. But if we get up from this chair and we go inside and we have this great food, by the way, the kitchen was filled with crockpots. Praise God. There are meatballs in there. I'm so excited. If you don't leave me, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to watch my speech. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But if we are a hearer of the word, we hear all this and we go from this place and we don't change. We don't allow the Spirit to change us on the inside. We say things like, yeah, but you don't know what they said to me first. That's a lesson that my children have been taught when they were in kindergarten. Remember what we said, grow up into Christ? But they said this, that's fine. What they said to you doesn't dictate what you say to them. Did they somehow magically take over control of your words because they said a harsh word to you? No, you make a choice what you say. And if you're going to give in to Satan's little bait that he entices you with to speak that thing, that's on you. That's not on them. Should they have said that? No. You can say that was wrong to say. You can call them out on it in a loving way. 
but you don't need to respond with hurtful words because they said a hurtful word for you. In fact, Proverbs says if you give them kind words, it'll actually do more damage as far as the effect it'll have on them because it'll draw them to understand they were wrong. So it's not about being a doormat. Oh, I just take it. No, no, no. We speak truth in love. So we're going to be a doer of the word. We're going to apply this by God's grace and go differently into our lives. Or are we just going to be a hearer? Well, that was good. Amen. And then tomorrow we still do the same thing we did today. What's the choice we're going to make? One last quote from Warren Worsby's commentary on this passage. I love this. Pure religion, again, using it in the right way. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, temples, or special days. Pure religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others through speech, service, and separation from the world. Not separation that we live in a monastery away from everyone and all of that. No, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so I want to encourage you today as followers of Christ, how, how is your speech lately? Are you giving control to the spirit, restraining that? And grace is coming out like salt to the hearer? Or is it harsh words? If somebody was to listen to your words at work, say you're around the corner and you and a couple of coworkers are on the corner and they can't see who's talking and they just hear someone talking and they hear something harsh and critical of someone, are they going to know at an instant, oh, that's not him saying that. That's not her saying that. That must be the other person saying that. I wish I could say that was always true when I worked in a secular field. I used to work at a hardware store and I remember I went back to the, the shop area and one of the coworkers was just going off about the boss. You know what I mean? And was she right? Mostly. <laughs> yes, what the boss was doing wasn't great, but it was just going on and on and on. And I had two choices to make. I either what? Well, I guess three. I walk away. Sometimes that's the wisest thing we can do. Amen? Don't engage a fool if you can walk away from a fool. Because if you engage the fool, Proverbs says over time they won't know who's the fool if they watch you and the fool. So we walk away. Or two, we engage and we, yeah, I can't believe they, that's so, man, that's lame. We just critical, critical, critical. Or three, we turn the tide. Man, you know what? I just want to say, I, I know everything's not perfect, but I'm so thankful that I have this job. Now, they're not a perfect boss, but we're not perfect employees, and I'm so thankful that I have a place to work and make money and provide for my family. See how quickly we can just turn it. I'm not preaching. I'm not declaring Bible, but I'm just turning that conversation a little bit. Why? So the next week, when I come back there and I start sharing Christ, the coworker's not going to go, wait a minute. You're telling me all this. You were with me right over there last week. And I use that example because I had those three choices and I made the wrong one. I got into it. Oh, man, I know. Because it was a bad day. It was a long day. I jumped right in there with it. I had to go back later that day and apologize to the person. And say, listen, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said any of that. I know we're frustrated, but I shouldn't have said that. I'm, I'm sorry for, for being critical of that person. Then I went and had to apologize to the manager that I was being critical of. That was hard. Because we don't like to apologize. So here's what I want you to do in application. We're going to have an invitation. You're going to just respond in however way God is leading. Maybe you're here and you'd say, you know what? My speech is not controlled by the Spirit. It needs to be. God, give me wisdom in that. Maybe you're here and you've used your words to hurt someone else, and they're here right now. Maybe at some point this afternoon, you would pray for strength to go and say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's a husband and wife here, a relationship like that, that the speech hasn't been great. And you want to go to your husband or your wife and say, listen, I just want you to know I'm really sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm praying for wisdom. Would you forgive me? And by the way, don't expect them to do the same, and that's why you're doing it. We're like, oh, I'll apologize, and maybe they'll apologize. No, we don't do it that way. Remember? God's working on us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I'm going to ask that you would respond to him. 
It's not about going to church. It's not about being baptized. It's not about being a good person. It's about personal faith and trust in Christ, repenting of our sins, trusting in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, asking him to save us, asking him to forgive us of our sins and surrender our life to him because none of us are perfect. We all need his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, as we go to this time of invitation, we pray, Father, that you would, as only you can, that you would lead, guide, and direct. Father, that you would work in our hearts and minds, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Lord, I, I, you know my heart. You know my weaknesses. You know that my speech can be an area that I struggle in. And I just pray that you'd strengthen me to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Thank you for your grace that when we stumble and when we fail, when we blow it, there's no counter in heaven of how many times we've called out for your grace. That in Christ, you are ready and willing to pardon, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, ready to forgive. And so, Father, as we live in this culture as the visiting team and we're not the number one response that people have, Lord, Christianity is not in the position of prominence it once was in our country. And a lot of places, we're, we're outnumbered at work and at home in different ways. So, Father, I pray that as we go out into the world that we would have our speech ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. Not an answer that we come up with, but your word. So, Father, apply this message however you see fit to our lives, to our minds and our hearts. And, Father, thank you for using this time this morning. It's all about you. It's not my words or my opinions or my ideas. It's all you. And I pray that you'd glorify the reading and application of your word. Father, give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Help us to be doers of the word. We love you, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we're led in a song of invitation, would you respond right there in your seats to whatever God is doing this morning?